0: So last week we began our study in 1 John. We'll be going through this short epistle for the next few months. And as we introduced the book last week, I mentioned that one of John's primary concerns in writing this letter is to refute false teachers that had infiltrated the church and were spewing false information about the gospel, specifically about who Jesus is and what he accomplished for his people. And when confusion exists about who Jesus is, why he came, why he died, why he was resurrected, when confusion exists about those issues, the gospel is lost. And so this is why John is writing, to address these false teachers that had come in and were spewing this false information about who Jesus was. In our passage today... John is going to continue to correct false teaching going around about the issue of sin, as Kelly just read for us. So let me just encourage you at the outset of this year and this particular sermon series to know what you believe about Jesus. And don't just know it intellectually, but be able to actually back it up in God's Word. Do not take what I say as gospel truth, take what the word of God says as that which is true. I had a brother just a couple of weeks ago come up to me after the service needing clarification on something that I said. And praise God he did so. Because we need clarification. I need to be held accountable to make sure that what I am teaching is accurate. And that I'm communicating clearly. So I would encourage you as a congregation to take notes, to underline, to seek clarification, to ask questions, investigate God's Word. I am but a flawed, sinful, corrupt, polluted man, as you are well aware. So, you're not going to hurt my feelings or any of our pastor's feelings if you approach us seeking clarification or needing more information about something that we were to teach. Praise God that John did not allow what was happening to just happen. He addressed it. And he wanted to fix it. So in the passage today that Kelly just read for us, we find two false claims that John needed to not only reject but correct. And they were false claims dealing with the issue of sin, the doctrine of sin. So as we work our way through the text today, two points. Number one, sin hindered or leads to hindered fellowship And then number two, sin leads to deception and distortion. Sin leads to hindered fellowship, number one. And then number two, sin leads to deception and distortion. So number one, sin leads to hindered fellowship. I'm going to give you one of my favorite definitions of sin. There's hundreds out there. But here's one that I like that John Piper actually gave in a sermon some years ago. It's very simple. It's easy to understand. He says, sin is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God above all other things. And he goes on to apply That definition, which I've actually shared this part with you before. He goes on to say, practically speaking, that sin is any of these things. The glory of God not honored. The holiness of God not reverenced. The greatness of God not admired. The power of God not praised. The truth of God not sought. The wisdom of God not esteemed. The beauty of God not treasured. The goodness of God not savored. The faithfulness of God not trusted. The promises of God not believed. The commandments of God not obeyed. The justice of God not respected. The wrath of God not feared. The grace of God not cherished. The presence of God not prized. And the person of God not loved. All of those things are sin. So at the outset, hopefully... I've proven to you that you've sinned. And if you didn't know it, you know it now. And if you still don't think you have, I pray for your soul. I hope today for us to see as we go through this text that every single one of us is corrupted, flawed, sinful people. And John begins his rebuke of these false teachers by reminding the Christians that he's writing to that the message that he and the other apostles heard and are now proclaiming is that God is light as Reed so eloquently prayed in his prayer earlier, focusing on this idea that God is in fact light. He's not simply a ray of light that pierces the darkness, but God swallows the darkness with his light. John says, in him is no darkness at all. Light and darkness are used throughout the Bible as metaphors. Light is associated with truth. While darkness is associated with falsehood. Light is associated with openness and transparency. And darkness is associated with secrecy. Light is associated with good behavior. And darkness is associated with bad behavior. Look at John's teaching on light and darkness in John chapter 3, his gospel. When he says this in verses 19 to 21. This is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Jesus says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light. Lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true, Jesus says, comes to the light. "...so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God." All of God's character is associated with light. He is beautiful. He is holy. He is righteous. He is truthful. Nothing of his attributes can even in the slightest bit be attributed to darkness. With that understanding of who God is, John refutes these false teachers' first claim, which was this. They were claiming to have fellowship with God while they were walking in darkness. Now, walking in darkness is another metaphor, basically for rejecting God. It's not simply talking about someone who sins... Because even those of us who are in Christ sin every single day. John is refuting here this false belief that one can say that they have fellowship with God while walking in darkness, actively, habitually, walking against the ways of God. Brothers and sisters, this is why we must constantly evaluate our own hearts and minds regarding our sin. We do not want this claim to be true of any of us, that we are claiming to have fellowship with God while actively walking in darkness, walking against the ways of God, living in unrepentant and unconfessed sin. John Owen wrote a book many years ago called Indwelling Sin. It's a great, challenging book basically on a theology of sin. And he breaks it down bit by bit like all the Puritans do. But he says this. He says, one of the ways that sin works in our lives is that sin tries to draw us away from focusing on our sin. Let me say it again. One of the ways that sin works in our hearts is it tries to draw us away from focusing on our sin. He says this, sin endeavors to draw the mind off from a due consideration, apprehension, and sensibleness of its own vileness and the danger with which it is attended. In other words, if you have sin in your life, one of the ways that sin will indwell within you is to not want you to think that what you're doing is sin. Or to even focus on your sin and regularly confess it and repent of it. This is why verse 6 is so important. And why we care so much as a church about confession of sin and repentance of sin. Let me read what it says. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice The truth John wants the Christians that he is writing to to know and for us to know this morning that fellowship with God while actively walking in darkness is really incompatible so yes we spend time corporately as a church especially on the days that we take communion confessing our sin repenting of our sin corporately Not to heap guilt upon ourselves, but because we want fellowship with God. We want unhindered fellowship with Him. We want His presence to flood our hearts and our minds. And since we know sin hinders fellowship with God, confessing and repenting of sin should actually be a delight so that we can have renewed fellowship for God and His Word. It's called being proactive in our walk with the Lord. Now, I did something last week that I've never done in my entire life. I took my car to the shop before it needed to go to the shop. In my 37 years of living, uh, 21 plus years now of driving, never once ever have I been proactive in taking a vehicle in to get any service work done whatsoever. I hate vehicles passionately. If Dothan had a subway system, I would use it. I would sell my vehicles, and we would not have a car. I hate everything about them. I apologize to those of you who love vehicles or sell cars. It's no offense to you. I love you, but I hate vehicles, everything about them. In fact, a few months ago, before I went this time, I had to get new tires on my car, and I was told that when I went to get them that my tires were dry rotting, and while the mechanic and everyone was looking down at me, I was celebrating because that means I got the maximum value of my tires. I am not ever going to fix anything on my car until I absolutely have to. So dry rotting for my tires is the goal. Those of you that care about safety and your families, you know just don't do what I do or. What's the word? Do as I say. Don't do as I say, but do whatever you're supposed to do. But that's how I view vehicles. So I went in last week, and actually, uh, you know, I just had a birthday and Christmas, so I had a little money, and I was like, I'm going to take my Camry in for a tune-up ahead of time. And, you know, in one sense, I hated doing it, hated it with everything in me because, again, I don't like to be proactive. But, you know, when I got the car back after they serviced it, it did ride a little smoother. Some things were doing things that they were probably supposed to be doing all along that they had never done in my car. And so sometimes being proactive is a good thing, as it is with confession and repentance. In one sense, bringing our sins before God is extremely humbling, perhaps even embarrassing at times, but the result is always good. Renewed fellowship with our Creator. Confession, brothers and sisters, and repentance does not mean that you are ignoring the grace and mercy of God. Not in the slightest. Confession and repentance drives you to the grace and mercy of God. Because you realize that without it, there is no hope but to claim Fellowship with God, as John says here, while walking in darkness, makes one a liar, he says. And one that does not practice the truth. So, in verse 7, instead of one walking in darkness and being a liar, he says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Now, notice what John teaches here. John doesn't mention that walking in the light leads to fellowship with God. That's assumed, okay? But in the passage, what does he say? Walking in the light leads to what? Fellowship with one another. Friends, this is huge. What John is teaching here, as one commentator points out, there is no fellowship with God that is not expressed in fellowship with other believers. Now, I'm like a broken record when it comes to this subject. You know that. I'm constantly pounding being at church, loving your church, being committed to your church. But the reason I talk about that all of the time is because the New Testament talks about it all of the time. Peter, John, James, Paul, and Jesus have no concept of a Christian separated from Christ's church. It doesn't exist in the New Testament. You can dig, you can investigate, you won't find it. Yes, we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but the church is the landing spot after that transformation has taken place. If someone claims to want Christ, but not his church, then they do not want Christ. Let me say it again. If someone claims to want Christ, but they do not want his church, then they do not want Christ, because Christ died for his church. So, if your commitment to church is decreasing, stagnant, let me encourage you this morning. We want you here. But more importantly, you need us. I need you We need each other. That's what the body of Christ is all about. But walking in light, most importantly, cleanses us, the text says, from our sin. Walking in the light takes us to the cross where the death of Jesus and His shed blood offers forgiveness to those that repent of sin and believe in faith in His sacrifice. We need each other, brothers and sisters. We cannot walk this life alone. Carl Truman, theologian, author, has written a number of excellent books. He wrote an article about a decade ago. I'm going to quote from it. He says, My special destiny as a believer is to be part of the church. And it is the church that is the big player in God's wider plan Not me. That puts my uniqueness, my importance, my role in definite perspective. The problem today is that too many have the idea that God's primary plan is for them. And the church is secondary. The instrument to the realization of their individual significance. You matter to God because Christ died for his church. Do not claim to have fellowship with God while actively walking in the dark apart from Christ's church. So the question for us is, are we walking in the light today? Are we trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross for salvation to cleanse us from our sin and to reconcile us to a holy God? If you aren't, I urge you today, walk in the light. Number two, this text also teaches that sin leads to deception and distortion. Now, the second false claim that John is refuting in this passage is that these teachers were claiming that they had no sin. Now, this doesn't mean, more than likely, That they were saying that they had never sinned, but rather since they came to faith in Christ, that they now had stopped sinning. That's probably what's happening here. They're not claiming that they never sinned ever in their lives, but now that they're in Christ, or as they claim to say, they are in Christ, they no longer struggle with sin. So it's not a denial of sin nature, but rather a denial of sinning once in Christ. Now, once a person is in Christ, we know that they are saved from the punishment of sin. That God's wrath was poured out on Christ in their place. So when the Bible in the New Testament talks about being saved, E.D., past tense, that's what it's talking about. Being saved from the punishment of sin. And when it uses the present tense to talk about sin, it's talking about being saved from the power of sin. If you're in Christ today, you are no longer enslaved to sin. You're enslaved to the Spirit. You're enslaved to obedience. So when the New Testament talks about salvation in the present, it's talking about being saved from the power of sin. But whenever the New Testament teaches about the future tense of salvation. What it is saying is, it is only when Christ returns that we will be saved from the presence of sin. So if you're a Christian today, or you claim to be one, and you still struggle with sin, that's going to continue to happen until Jesus returns. Until we receive our glorified bodies. Thus... John is saying, none of these teachers, nor myself, nor any of you should be claiming that we are without sin. We read that long list that John Piper gave us. We're all pretty certain at this point that we have, in fact, sinned. Now, one of the ways that sin deceives us is trying to get us to believe that our sin either isn't that big of a deal or that what other people are doing is worse than what we're doing. John Owen talks about this in his book. He says that sin leads us to believe that the sins that we're committing, they're not really that bad, and especially compared to our neighbors or our family members or our friends. I'm fearful, as someone who grew up in the church, that if we're not careful... We can communicate to children, teenagers, that as long as they're not on drugs, as long as they haven't murdered anybody, as long as they haven't robbed a bank, and as long as they haven't had sex before marriage, that they haven't sinned. And that's not true. There are thousands and thousands of ways that 4-year-olds and 12-year-olds and 19-year-olds and 90-year-olds sin. Just because you haven't done drugs or just because you went through the D.A.R.E. program in elementary school doesn't mean that you haven't sinned. Shout out to the millennials that went through the D.A.R.E. program with me. Okay, Just because you got the certificate in D.A.R.E. doesn't mean that you're sinless. Somebody obviously doesn't like D.A.R.E., so my apologies. But we have to stop viewing our sin as as long as we avoid the things in life that put us in prison We must be on the track of sanctification. And that's just simply not true. Mature Christians in the room, listen to this quote. As Christians grow in maturity, the kinds of sins that remain in their lives are often not so much sins of words or deeds that are outwardly noticeable to others, but inward sins of attitudes and motives of the heart Desires such as pride and selfishness, lack of courage or faith, lack of zeal in loving God with our whole hearts and our neighbors as ourselves, and failure to fully trust God for all that He promises in every situation. These are real sins. They show how far short we fall of the moral perfection of Christ. Yesterday, I came face-to-face with my depravity. My daughter got rollerblades for Christmas. We've been practicing out in the cul-de-sac. Well, she wanted to go to Fun Zone, to practice rollerblading. And I came away from that experience, two things, I'm never returning, and number two, the amount of impatience that I have on trying to teach children some special skill, is just does not go well with me. So uh, we we went to Fun Zone. We're skating around the rink. She's wiping out time and time again. She's crying. Get up! You can do this, all of the things that fathers are not supposed to do. The other people watching me are probably thinking, oh my goodness, like, does he have a wife, not for much longer? You know, all of these horrible things. And so after that hour plus of misery on my end, we got in the car and Ashley and I were driving home with them and I was saying, all right, what can we learn from this? What lesson could be taught here? The lesson that I communicated to my children was that, especially to my daughter who was very frustrated, was that God does not design us ready to accomplish with perfection every single thing that we set out to do. There were men and women ye- there yesterday who were Backflipping and skating backwards, and I was just enthralled. There was this one guy, I wanted his phone number just to take him to lunch because I was so impressed with his skill set. And I used to think 20 years ago that I was really good at rollerblading, I am not. It has come a long way. But I came to the realization that yesterday that, you know, we're not created to accomplish everything perfectly the moment we arrive. On this earth, we develop, we grow, we fail. And I confess to my children did you see Daddy's behavior at Fun Zone? Daddy failed you yesterday. I was impatient, I was angry, I, I wanted it to go better than it did. So there was some time in confession and repentance last night when I arrived home from Fun Zone. But if we're prone to think, and I'm never going back, so don't invite me. If we're prone to think that we don't have sin in our lives, Christians, if you're prone to think that you don't struggle with sin, you've either been deceived by sin or you're not spending enough time thinking about all of the ways you fall short of what God has called you to do. The most glorious truth, thank you, God, in this passage is verse 9, which says. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We receive forgiveness. Amen. I received forgiveness for my behavior yesterday. The debt has been canceled. But we also, the text tells us, receive cleansing. Our sin makes us impure polluted, but through confession of sin and repentance, God removes the impurities from us. Now, the question that often comes up in this passage is, how can God be just if he forgives sinners? How can one be just if he lets it go that we as sinners have messed up and fallen short of his will? Paul answers this question for us. I don't have to. Romans chapter 3 in verses 23 to 26. I'll read it. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has put faith in Jesus. What is Paul saying there? God didn't turn a blind eye to our sin. He poured out his wrath on his Son for our sins, thus making him both just in his punishment for sin and at the same time, also able to justify us by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God, listen to me, did not turn a blind eye to your sin. He poured out that punishment and that wrath on His Son. That is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus stepped in our place and received the punishment that we deserved for our sin. God never ceases being righteous when he forgives sin. Ever. Because he dealt with the violation of the law by sending Jesus to face the punishment for us. Is that not the best news in the world? That the wrath of God for my unholiness yesterday was poured out on Christ. And he did nothing to deserve it. He's the ultimate rollerblader. Okay? That's a very abstract image. And perhaps not that helpful. So you might want to just forget that I said that. But he is everything that I am not. And he still, out of his love for me, takes, his sin, takes my sin upon himself. And through repentance of sin and faith in Christ, I receive a reconciled relationship to God. That's beautiful. Sin not only deceives, but quickly, it distorts. How does it distort? Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. By claiming here, these false teachers claiming that they have not sinned, that makes God a liar. And making God a liar distorts who he is because God is not a liar. He is truthful all of the time. All of the time. This is why we have to know the attributes of God. We have to know the key doctrines of our faith. After the Super Bowl, shameless plug, February 19th, in the evenings, we're going to spend six weeks studying the key doctrines of our faith. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the church, the Bible, the doctrine of man. Six weeks, we're going to dive deep into doctrine. To make sure we understand what the Bible teaches about these core issues of the faith. Our women this coming Saturday will do something similar when they have that breakfast. And they dive into God's word to better learn who God is and why he matters. So I hope you'll join us for those things. To say that one has not sinned is to refute what God has said about man's nature in the Bible. Claiming no sin not only makes one a liar, John says, but it proves that God's word is not in us. If you don't believe you have sinned, you've just simply never read the Bible. Because from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation, it is a story of God setting in place a plan to redeem a people for himself. Why do they need to be redeemed? Because they all sinned. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Solomon, Peter, Paul, James, and the author of this book, John, all needed to be redeemed from their sin. The whole story of redemption in the Bible comes from the premise that man has violated God's holy commandments. The gospel is in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. It is not simply Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the response to God's word from this text today is number one, Christians, take seriously your sin, but simultaneously take seriously the faithfulness of God to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Hold them both high. Yes you are a sinner, but yes God is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you. And non-Christians, have you turned from your sin? Have you placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation? That's the call. A call both to Christians to humble ourselves, get over ourselves, stop thinking we have it all put together. I wish actually would have had video footage at Fun Zone for you to see. None of us are perfect. We all fall short. But by the grace of God, the free gift of salvation is available to any who will repent of their sins and believe in faith in Christ alone. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for this text. We thank you for the reminder that we all needed today that all of us fall short. We don't cherish you as we should. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We get impatient when we should be patient. But we cling to the truth of verse 9, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We hold that truth in our hearts and minds today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.